0: I've been very fortunate because as I've started my career, I wound up in an organization that was really entrepreneurial. So it was finding an ability to sort of manage the entrepreneurialism that came through and that I recognized I loved through the student works program, but also to do it in a corporate environment. So I've been with publicists for 18 years, which is not something that is typical in our industry. Usually it's about three years before somebody transitions, but I've never had a job description. And the only job description that I was given when I started and I still hold is find a place where the agency needs value and go fill it. And ultimately, that's sort of what I show up to do every day. And it's worked out so far. Uh, and I think that that's something that you know I, I encourage a lot of people here is don't be constrained by a job description. Identify where you think you can bring something unique or some intangible that you can bring to the business
1: I'm really excited to be bringing you Brian Kane, the president of Publicist Canada. On today's podcast, he joined Publicist when the business was uh, 40 people, promotion after promotion after promotion. And uh, four years ago, he became the president. Now, Publicist Canada is uh, over 500 people that Brian leads from his Toronto office. Uh, They are leaders in Publicist, in really the retail space. Walmart, Home Depot, Rogers, uh, some enormous clients that he delivers value. There are so many amazing takeaways from this podcast. The one real key that I loved and and I want you to understand is, is just with all the vast change that's going on in the world today, and he explains it, is just how to deal with the ambiguity and the change in a positive way to create your powerful future as leaders. So I know you're going to love this podcast. Thank you so much. And again, thanks leaders. Brian, first of all, uh, thank you so much for coming onto our podcast and making a difference. And I'm really excited to have you here this morning. And so can you tell me who you were or what you were like before our program?
0: You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of things that, that were affected and changed through the program. Um, I, but I think what it probably did was dialed up more of what was at the core and maybe hadn't been fully tapped. So you know, going through high school, going into university, probably didn't have the clearest plan as to what I wanted to do necessarily. I was super into sports and um, always a really active leader and participated in anything and everything I could. So very much involved in school, community, those types of things. But I don't know that I necessarily had the focus and discipline that ultimately probably came out through the Student Works Management Program. And I think that though it didn't fundamentally change me, but I think it really uh, emphasized and helped me understand what my strengths were uh, and where
1: I really wanted to focus. Okay, great. and And so do you remember what your biggest frustration as a teenager was before you got started in your business?
0: Well, I probably wasn't the most frustrated teenager, which is probably reflective of I was kind of maybe going with the flow a little bit <laughs> um, as we were going through. And it wasn't something that I really had the the sharpest and well-defined goals. Right. So we look at the frustration, you know, success was continuing to advance, get to university, get to the schools that I wanted. Right. But I don't know that it necessarily had that tension uh, against success because a lot of the things I was doing came relatively easily. Right. And the bar just needed to be set in maybe a different
1: way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So it was kind of a bunch of things were coming pretty easily. School, academics, uh, you know, friends, etc. And then all of a sudden, you got involved in our program. So what do you still rely on from our program, Brian?
0: Uh, you know what, I, I found the program was a crash course for life and for business. So there are so many facets of the program, skills that I learned, really, that that I use every day. And I don't know that there's a lot that... Uh, that I can't draw back upon in some way shape or form to what happened because you know going into the program I think there my love of business was really something that that came out right uh, and recognizing sort of what about entrepreneurialism what about leadership were the things that sort of I fed off of and that was a that was the awakening that came through the program but when i think about Skills and things that are, are clearly today that uh, have been assets for me that I can draw back to the program, and I think the first one's accountability right. um, at the end of the day, when you're an entrepreneur you're running your own business, it's on you uh, It's on you to create your success, nobody's going to sort of push you to get it done and make it happen in the same way that when things don't go well, you know people don't really care whose fault it was it's yeah. on you yeah um, so if we had a minor incident on a job site where a little bit of paint maybe got spilled on some newly laid flagstone. Nobody really cared wh- you know, how it happened or why it happened. It was up to me and what I was going to do about it. Right. And those are the types of things, I think, from an accountability perspective. The other thing, uh, which is really clear for me as it goes back to the program, is learning how to plan for success. You know, success looks, I guess, outwardly like it comes easy to a lot of people. But I think you know if you actually got to know a lot of really successful people, there's a very clear plan. Yes, the discipline on setting well-defined goals and objectives, and having uh, a plan that lays out the actions that are measurable and how we're going to actually achieve that is something that I bring to our teams every single day. Right, it's great to have ambition, but what's your plan to get there? Um, is another big thing, and I think probably the the last one that sort of jumps to mind is. You know, when I was in the student works program, it was a really impressionable time in my life and recognizing the impact of surrounding yourself with positive, motivated, driven people uh, and how you can create circumstances to help your own success is something that really is uh, always top of mind. Right. And, you know, recognizing when we were a group of really driven university students, that kind of set off on this journey without knowing exactly what it was going to turn into having a, a, a really tight knit group around you that was pushing you, motivating you. Um, and at the end of the day, also somebody you could feed off of going, wow, they're really impressive. And they kind of set the bar for you that day where maybe you weren't necessarily having your best day. Um, and then you did that for them the next, and that was a really cool part of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely influences my world today absolutely for sure it's you know i always love you'll become the average of the five people you spend the most time with and that core group of people and i remember there were just a really great group of people that it's always that but i just remember the great group of operators that you used to spend time with and learn from and grow with so that's that's awesome why don't we walk through your career progress? Like, because I know a lot of times our young leaders are really interested in, in wow, how do you actually end up running a, or being president of Publicist Toronto? You know, how's that possible? You know, you started out as a graduating from Western, being a student works operator.
0: Definitely not a linear path. Um, I think communications and marketing certainly, when I got into the business, had very non traditional pass to enter. I think it's a little bit more formalized now with graduate programs and what have you. But you'll probably remember that we started a, a business venture I do. Uh, right after Student Works together, yeah. um, a thriving enterprise. And I continued to to build that business and manage that business for a few years after Student Works. And I remember sort of as the business evolved and moved away from the, the core painting business and started moving into more renovations and home improvement, um, there was a day where I looked and said, I thought that this was what success looked like. The business was thriving. Uh, I think I was 22 years old when I bought my first home in Toronto. And I looked and from all the, the milestones and markers that I had put in place, I was successful. Right. I was driving down the street one day, I said, this isn't what I wanna do when I'm 40. And that seemed like a very distant place in my life. Yes. Uh, At the time, now I look back going like, oh, it wasn't that big a deal. But at that moment, I reached out to a family friend who had a construction business, and he just happened to be in marketing. Right. And I reached out to him to get some advice on how to divest from the business and what value I could extract. Um, And through the course of that conversation, he asked me to read a book, and it was the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Right. So I hadn't taken any marketing courses, any advertising or communications, or what would be media technology today. And I thought it was odd, but I went and right after meeting him, I went and got the book and I started reading it because I was confused because it had nothing to do with what we were talking about. Um, And I started reading the book and I stayed up all night and read the entire book. I couldn't put it down. So I called him the next day and said, you know what, I want to, I know what I want to do. And he said, that's great. You start in two weeks. So I quickly wound things down from a business perspective and, uh, and started. And I was fortunate. He was the president of Publicist Toronto at the time. Right. It was a small agency of about 35 people. And I've continued to grow with the organization now to where Publicist is part of a, you know, one of the largest global networks in the world. And been able to go on that ride and now to be able to lead Publicis in Toronto. So again it was like not necessarily the most you know well defined path um, but it was really about finding opportunity and I've been very fortunate because as I've started my career I wound up in an organization that was really entrepreneurial so it was finding an ability to sort of manage the entrepreneurialism that came through uh, and that I recognized I love through the student works program, but also to do it in a corporate environment. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've been with publicists for 18 years, which is not something that is typical in our industry. Usually it's about three years before that. somebody yeah. transitions, but I've never had a job description. Mm-hmm. And the only job description that I was given when I started and I still hold is find a place where the agency needs value and go fill it right and ultimately that's sort of what I show up to do every day and it's worked out so far Uh, and I think that that's something that you know I I encourage a lot of people here is don't be constrained by a job description identify where you think you can bring something unique or some intangible that you can bring to the business and deliver it and great things will happen Uh, and in today's world of perpetual change it's working out really well for a lot of people Yeah. It's been a fun, non-traditional ride, but
1: it's been great. Well, it's it's funny, Brian. Um, one of the things that like to and I've I've had a bunch of uh, who luck, like just good luck uh, with who I've bumped into over the years. And of course, a lot of that I've driven, right? I've driven, I've met those people and I've, you know, had great mentors and been very fortunate. But you know, it's one of those things. The business that we started actually was with Peter Freed, who who actually has gone on, he's developed like I think over well over a billion dollars worth of real estate in Toronto. And so that's a pretty neat spot in terms of being able to Peter and I became friends. And then it was like, he was looking for a young star to come and develop a business with. And and it was like, okay, great. Brian's a young star. Let's put this thing together. And, And again, I guess it ended up not being, something that was, you know, that kind of really worked, right? Like it was like, oh, wow, this really worked for everyone. But hey, we're still friends. Things are, things are amazing. And then who do you bump into? You bump into another opportunity. And one of the things I love to, to share with our young leaders is, is just that not always is it clear. And so often, great people—they're not out looking for an opportunity. They're actually just, you know, doing their thing. They're already winning. Again, you're winning. You're buying a house at 22. You're winning, and and then all of a sudden, you get grabbed, right? And here, you know, you get grabbed by again your, you know, big mentor who actually, uh, obviously, guided you in this business. So pretty neat.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I think the the idea about opportunity exists everywhere. It's just being open to it. Is yes. something that for people who are really goal oriented and driven, sometimes, you know, the blinders get on and they miss opportunity by not being open to different paths. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, as I've learned success planning through student works and what have you is being open to redefining what success looks like and that, you know, three plus three equals six, but so does seven minus one. And if you're trying to get to six, there's different ways at it. And not necessarily saying, okay, you know, I've, did this in university. I need a job in this area. I need to be at this level by this age. And that there is an abundance of opportunity if you're open to it. And that it won't, won't always work out. And that if you accept that, as well as being part of the game, that's cool too. You know, you mentioned the venture that we started, it took on different forms, and we ultimately all moved on to other things. Uh, but
1: great opportunity. Yeah, no, and, and all winning and all happy. Yeah, like it really is fascinating. The other thing you mentioned as well, and Brian, that I wanted to highlight was you basically have spent your time just looking to add value and that that is something that a lot of times people don't really understand. Like the whole concept of no corporation, no business that you're running or a corporation is paying you to participate in is interested in you except to add value. So when you really understand, where can I go add value and then go crush in that area, people want you. One of the things that
0: has become very clear to me and was highlighted at different points is what will make you successful in your current role is not necessarily what made you successful in your previous role. So you could be an individual contributor at a a large corporation and wind up with management responsibilities. What made you a great individual contributor will not make you successful in your next role. So, also learning how to add value and create value in different ways as you develop through your career is what will separate people, you know, from those that do very well but don't ultimately take on senior leadership positions. Is they get stuck in, I'm good at this, and this is, you know, how I right. create value. Constantly thinking and assessing, and the world's changing so quickly that that is abundantly um, uh, present in terms of new ways to bring value to a company as we you know, struggle with different issues and different challenges that, that are being presented every day. Um, but that's, that, I think, is something that stuck with me. I remember vividly, I was at the elevators. It was the end of my first week, and it was like, oh, okay, great. I, now I know what I need to do. So, that piece of advice is, is something that I've held on to.
1: And so, one of the other things is, you know, obviously, you're, you're president of publicists. And so so to a certain extent, I guess that makes you, you know, employee. But do you consider yourself an entrepreneur? Do you consider yourself an employee? How do you consider yourself? How do you look at yourself, Brian?
0: And maybe it's the way I self-define it to some extent is, you know, I have accountability to build and lead our business here in Canada, but I have accountability to a publicly traded company that has objectives and goals. So what I spend time with is understanding at the macro level, what are those objectives and goals that we need to deliver to the street? And then it's up to me to figure out how to achieve that. Okay, Uh, And I've been very fortunate to have the latitude from our global leadership team uh, to be able to find different paths, to try different things on how to build that business here in Canada, uh, because it's different than in other markets like the UK and the US. We have very different complexions to the communication landscape demographics all those types of things right so I think there's great entrepreneurial opportunities within corporate environments but you have to help define that because if I asked what the order was they would give it to me but if I asked what we're trying to achieve I can also gain that understanding and come back with a plan as to how we're gonna realize that right so yeah I I I do feel like you know at the end of the day we have a principle uh, within the agency that that we're guided by here in Canada, but it's act like an owner not an employee We encourage all our people to come in every day and operate the way they would if they owned it So if they think something needs to change change it Don't necessarily identify it. So we also talk about the idea of We should versus I will and I did and we right. need people on the continuum of I did um, and as long as we know that they're guided by the objectives of our clients and the agency, mm-hmm. great, we'll make mistakes. But I'd much prefer those mistakes than a bunch of passengers that are pointing out uh, all the shortcomings because we have a lot. Yeah. The organization does. So that, that's something that you know I embraced and I, I try and make sure that everybody that we
1: bring on really looks for that uh, opportunity within their career. So one of the things is, I know I always love to highlight just different areas because our, our operators have, you know, our past alumni have gone to so many different spots. So the whole communications and advertising area is, is really quite fascinating. I think it's an area that a lot of young people and young leaders are interested in. So could you describe it and maybe as well, what is, what is publicists really, maybe their key traits or their key advantages in the area and what, you, what you've been able to accomplish? Maybe too big a question, but.
0: When you think about the what we actually do for our clients as an industry, we solve business problems through through creativity. Okay. And we look at it from a consumer, behavioral, motivational perspective to understand how to achieve a particular business outcome or address a business issue. Um, the tools that we have at our disposal are radically different than they were 10 years ago. Okay, um, I find I always sound like you know, a really old person when I start talking about like the way it used to be. But the way it used to be, social media didn't exist in the context of the communication landscape 10 years ago. Sure, You know, 2007 was early days of social where it became mainstream. Mm -hmm. So when you think about the transformation in the context of business from sort of the early industrialized age, what's happened in the last 10 years relative to what took you know, many, many decades um, has been incredible. So what we're doing right now is really reassessing how brands and businesses go to market and how they create value through communications in different ways where it's not something that, you know, the largest budget typically won, where you could command somebody's attention. Now I need to understand Chris Thompson, what's happening in his life. What are the different motivations that would potentially influence you and then understand what your media consumption habits are and how I can create value through your interactions or experiences, all the way from early search before you actually even know that you're looking for a product, all the way through to you're a loyal customer and I wanna retain you um, as a part of the brand or the franchise or what have you. So what differentiates Publicis is the breadth and depth of the tools and capabilities that we have, so being full service from everything from you know full size enterprise website builds through to more traditional mass television commercials and every permutation within that. Right. And so, who are some of the brands
1: that you've worked with over the over the last eighteen years?
0: So our core um, client base has been relatively consistent, but many of the brands, uh, Rogers has been. A long-standing relationship that we've had uh, managing their brand and communications. Chrysler. As of late, we've been doing a lot of work in the U.S. with Citibank, Red Lobster, Walmart. Um, so a lot of the largest sort of enterprise-level brands right. are where we typically play. Right. Uh, servicing and supporting them with a large, with a significant focus on large retailers. We worked with Home Depot for many years prior to uh, our Walmart relationship and you know, evolving with some of those businesses as they change. Right. A lot of the businesses that we're in and competing in today are as a result of the needs of those businesses, right. uh,
1: what they're looking for from, from their creative partners. You're working as publicist Toronto slash Canada, but you're working in the US. How does that work within your you know, sort of franchise of publicists? So our business has uh, taken
0: on much more of a a globalized operating model over the last three years, where we used to be uh, managed based on geography. So you hired publicists in Toronto, you worked with the best and brightest of the people in publicist Toronto. Right. The globalization strategy has really brought clients to the center of our operating model. And now we're guided to look across the entire publicist group of companies um, there's about 84,000 employees, and to find the unique skill sets, talents, and capabilities to bring to that particular client, regardless of what brand they're aligned to, what country they're from. Okay. So we've built a uh, content practice in terms of uh, video production, video uh, editing, and post production, and then also our CRM business, so one-to-one engagement. And that's been identified as centers of excellence within the network. So we get brought in, for instance, on P&G. P&G is looking uh, to transform different aspects of their communication mix. It's recognized through the global client lead that Toronto has the expertise to support on this. And our teams are, are assigned and brought in as a part of that. So we have our local clients that we, that we manage, and then we service and
1: support uh, other clients from different offices. Awesome, and again, based on just how well each of the groups do. So again, just a results—you know, results uh, focus. Who's delivering great results? That—that's obviously who we need. Yeah, exactly.
0: So it's been fun and refreshing, and it's exciting to play on the global stage when you're a small country of you know with seven thirty-eight million people. Be able to you know start working through the U.S. and the U.K. presents new opportunities for our talent. And it's a, a great motivation when we're recruiting uh, people to be able to have those opportunities so they can live in Canada, benefit from what it means to be Canadian, mm-hmm. but still be able to, uh,
1: to play at the scale of the U.S. Work these worldwide projects with the biggest biz- businesses and biggest retailers in the world. That's really exciting. So, okay. yeah. Wow. We can speaking, and I do love to you know sort of highlight the success of our, our alumni, to our leaders, but also also their failures and their challenges and their mistakes and and how that that I know how that adds value and that that everyone has them and and a lot of times again like you, you said earlier, it looks really easy for people who win. No, it's not. <laughs> but so maybe you could share a little bit about that for us, Brian. I
0: guess part of the the question, or the, I guess the answer to your question, is how you define failure. Okay. Uh, and I I find a lot of people look at failure and success as being binary, where I guess I don't look at it that way. There's, you know, accomplishments and setbacks. And, you know, our business is a lot like baseball. If you win one out of every three, you're the MVP. So we have a lot more setbacks than uh, than accomplishments. and And that's something that I think when people see it as did I succeed or did I fail it's did you accomplish what you were trying to do or did you fall short and if you fell short did you learn from it Um, so my day is filled with setbacks and there have been sort of bigger setbacks than others Mm -hmm. but failure for me is defined probably a little bit differently failure for me would be when I didn't actually try because I was afraid that I wouldn't accomplish what I was trying to do right Uh, Failure for me would be defined on the sort of my personal narrative, you know, the the sort of dialogue in your head that you hear through the course of the day, Um, and that changes to I can't, or I suck, or, you know, I'm not good at this, those types of things. For me, that's when you start to fall into failure mode, um, as opposed to success, but it's a journey. It's not like success is a destination because you can set the milestones and markers and then you're there and you go, okay, now what? For sure. Here's the next and the next and the next, and there's always more. Um, But that's where I find, you know, maybe for me, it hasn't been looking at it as a binary. Was I successful or failure? Right. Um, And was this a shortcoming? And the people that really inspire me in that context are the people that, that maybe have had a setback. But you see them five minutes later and it's like nothing happened. You know, they don't wallow in, oh, that was important and we really wanted that and we didn't get it. Or, you know, that person that was really valuable to the business quit. They look at it going, why did they quit? What are we going to change to make sure that other great people like that don't quit? Move on. Yeah. Or they get bad news from a client and, you know, they might reflect for a few moments in terms of what led to that and why didn't we get what we wanted? Mm-hmm. But don't give in to that. And they actually just double down on, okay, well, let's get the next one. Yes. Uh, and I think that, you know, maybe that's something that came through the early days of the student works program is there were a lot of estimates that I put out that I didn't necessarily get. For sure. I got caught up in that and that, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at pitching business and what have you. I wouldn't have gotten the next one. Yeah. And so a little bit of the resilience factor that, that you start to build through that, you know, probably was, uh, was a big impact in that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. And that happened, you know, X play. What do we do? What can we learn and then move on? One of the things very clearly, you've done a lot of, you know, sort of mindset work or learning, you know, outside the, the stuff that you're talking about. They don't teach you in schools, Brian. What have you done in terms of continuing self-education?
0: I think it's something that I'm perpetually doing. Um, it's the recognition that, you know, I have a lot of shortcomings. And, and flaws, uh, and it's exploring that, and you know, how do I get better in certain areas? and And I find the you know personal improvement space is filled with resources and tapping into like-minded individuals to say, "What worked for you? and how, how did that play out in your business? And not necessarily getting caught up in the sort of noise around it. Uh, but understanding the resources and surrounding myself with people that have similar interests passions and curiosities and you know feeding each other and saying right. hey, this is great and this is what happened because I Don't even know if it's just management leadership. What have you? It's hard. There's not a lot of Recognition and reward for great leadership. You have to create that for yourself. Uh, because, you know, that's something that there's a lot of lonely moments where, you know, it's filled with doubt or it's filled with uncertainty. Uh, people are insecure, even if, you know, they hold the most senior positions. There are definitely moments of insecurity. For sure. And how, how you can cope and manage that, uh, I think, is a big part of it. And also how you motivate yourself and how you keep pushing forward. Uh, when sometimes the road gets a little bit longer and doesn't have those big, uh, I found early in my career it was really easy to stay motivated because I was getting promoted every you know eighteen months there was a next and a next and a next right I've been in my role for four years, and there isn't necessarily a role directly after this, um, so I have to create my own markers and milestones to keep me to keep me going and pushing yeah and fortunately there's 450 people in our Toronto office and, you know, another 50 in Windsor that I have to be motivated for because I have to show up and, you know, ultimately I work for them and their success. Uh, so that's a big part of relying on some of that mindset work is, is staying on top of that and making sure that I'm delivering for them on, on an ongoing basis.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that really strikes me, and, and I think a lot of times our young leaders don't see it and don't understand is, is that, well, hold on, here's, here's this amazing young leader. You know, you're still a young leader, you know, who, who is responsible for this enormous amount of business and this enormous number of really, really smart people. Cause there's just not 500 people. There are 500 really, really smart, creative people, right? In your organization. Cause I know that. So it's, you've just got to be on your game. And then in many ways, it's you are alone in some ways, right? Like it's, it's uh, you know, who do you look for? Like, do you, do you have a mentor? Do you have someone who's managing you or leading you? Or how does that work for you, uh, Brian?
0: Definitely have mentors and mentors in different parts of my life. Mm-hmm. Especially as you go through different stages of your life, you'll draw upon different things from others. You know, having young children and a life outside of work, Reconciling that against my career ambitions, you know, where I was all in on my career for a long time, yeah. And managing those transitions and having people that you can talk to to say, "This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm doing." I've been very fortunate to be a part of uh, YPO. Oh yeah, for many years, and having a forum that's established of uh, people who share, share similar life stages and and roles within organizations, and I. For me, what the development opportunity that I learned through YPO was having a group of people that you surround yourself that you can be vulnerable with. Yes, uh, we spend you know just look at social media, the positivity and the successes that people are putting up constantly. You're surrounded. My with- life is so amazing. Exactly. Yes. You <laughs> know, Every moment of every day is amazing. Uh, <laughs> if you look at your newsfeed. And when you start going through that, you need a group of people that you can say, you know what, I'm struggling. This is hard. And sometimes it's great when somebody says, me too. Yeah, I for sure. To talk to, and being able to be vulnerable outside of your role has been incredibly valuable to me because you recognize, yeah, it's not easy for everybody else. It's not necessarily uh, something that's going to be solved. Right. It's not like oh, there's a podcast I heard. Go listen to that. It will be, be all right. Uh, there's people you can kind of you know plot along the journey together, uh, and that form of mentorship and peership yep. is is really valuable and important
1: to me. Yeah. Well, just to fill in our, our leaders who are listening, YPO is a short short for Young Presidents Organization, which is the leading presidents organization in the entire world. You've got to achieve a certain number of Sales uh, used to be 10 million, but under 40 to be able to join this organization. I belong to an organization from Entrepreneurs Organization, which is a similar thing. And the real core component, yes, there's all sorts of learning. The real core component is what Brian was referring to as a forum, a mastermind group where you're meeting with eight to 10 people on a monthly basis. There's a retreat every year. I just had my monthly meeting last last night. And I've been meeting over over 20 years uh, in a forum. And I can't tell you enough of just, again, you may think someone is really successful. And by all outside experiences, they're really successful. And there's all sorts of stuff going. And you may think, well, I feel a scarcity maybe of money or relationship. And how could they? And they do. And again, what's most authentic and what's most personal is most universal So, it's just so amazing, again, being able to share with other people who are having similar experiences.
0: And something, you know, certainly to the credit of the Student Works program, I had that when I was in Student Works. I don't think I realized it at the time. Yeah. But there were a a close-knit group of operators um, that shared that. And, you know, somebody would wind up, you know, not getting a piece of business or they didn't have the leads they needed or they were having recruiting challenges. Yep. You know, we'd all sort of convene at different places, be it the paint store, be it, uh, you know, a local establishment a few times, many different times. Uh, and we would share those stories during the day. And I think that that peer support, I wouldn't have sort of identified it as such, but it was very much like what I seek today through my form.
1: Yeah. No, I think you're right. And and actually it's interesting. A bunch of past operators have actually set on ongoing peer relationships. They've asked me to sit in on a number of them in the past. So I, you know, sort of come in and speak and share from experience so that they can sort of get it, get, uh, and make it more powerful. So Brian, just a couple more questions, because I know you jammed. Um, so if someone wanted to do what you did and really in terms of really, again, create a really, really powerful life, what key habits would they look to steal from you? What's the secret to your success?
0: Well, I wish if, if I could answer that, I'd probably be more successful. Uh, <laughs> if I had that sort of clarity and saliency around what those keys are, I don't know. And I won't say that I have these uh, sure. necessarily. I think there are things we're all working on. Yep, you bet. There's a definite ambition and personal motivation. It has to be something that nobody's, Driving you Mm -hmm. if you're there are a lot of people that I know that are successful um, But they kind of wound up in a path that they felt like they needed to be on uh, Because their parents told them society told them right. They don't love it. They're not personally motivated by it Um, I've been very fortunate to be able to find myself in a career that actually love I don't see it as a job yeah, um, If we're working nights and weekends on a pitch or what have you, I don't see it as an obligation. It's exciting. It's something I feed off of uh, and I look forward to. That, finding that is not something that is, there's a, there isn't a blueprint for that. And some of us are, are fortunate to have found that. Uh, but I think that that is definitely a key to success. Uh, I think also humility. When I look at a lot of great leaders, they're incredibly humble. They might have present themselves with incredible confidence. However, there's a, a huge respect that they have for others uh, and the values that they create and bring, and recognizing that you know they only fill certain dimensions of a team, and that that being a big uh, a big thing, and and I think the last thing is recognizing how you need to be a part of a team. There's not a lot of people I know that have been incredibly successful. On their own, yeah. You know, they exist. There are stories of it. You know, the Mark Zuckerbergs and the what-have-yous of, you know, individuals who have been highlighted. But the majority of uh, really successful leaders and people are people who want to be a part of a team, want to build and create teams, uh, and recognize different roles that they play within teams and different types of teams. Uh, but for me, that's something I always look for in in our leaders is, you know, what is their, their natural orientation and inclination when it comes to a team mindset? Uh, and how do they play within that? So those are three, three things. I'm, I'm sure there are many, many more. But things that I see and probably three things that I work on.
1: One of the things uh, that I see, and I've always seen this about you, is, is, is there's definitely a confidence, but there's always been a humility uh, about you, uh, Brian, as a leader and as a person and that draws people towards you right it just does it's just like I'm humbled by that yeah here's this person who is who is you know powerful going out and deflecting oh my team's amazing my team's amazing and by the way I know they are right and that's that's totally true and again it's not saying you're not amazing but again it's just letting people know and having people really hear what's true is is that we create these wonderful lives in community. And, and I think as well, I think the media goes a long way towards actually disrupting what's true about Mark Zuckerberg and the success or Steve Jobs and the success over at Apple is that there were always all sorts of people around that actually co-created that, those, those things. And that Facebook would have been just a You know, just kind of a cool app. Had they not brought in all sorts of amazingly smart people and resources to really grow that thing incredibly, where they've got all sorts of amazing things happening, it just it just couldn't have done it. And Mark Zuckerberg is not that smart, you know. No one is, right? There's all sorts of people.
0: Well, and you can't outwork businesses at scale. Yes. So it's easy to be a rock star and an individual contributor on small businesses, Uh, but they define their the scope and scale of their success by their own capacity. right? And there aren't enough hours or days in a week, uh, even if you work 24 seven, to be able to outwork things at scale. You need teams that do that and you actually need to pull back even further as you get to greater and greater scale because it's not something that that you can actually outwork. Uh, And there are moments that I think within my student works experience where I learned that and you know what, I haven't built the right team or I don't have the right people in place and I'm working my butt off. There's like, there isn't any more daylight that I can actually <laughs> do. Uh, and my car lights only will shine so far uh, that I can't actually do it and needing yeah. to learn to rely on other people and, and trust other people to do it as well. I think is a big part.
1: Yeah. And again, as before our call, we were just chatting as well about, again, the, the, the capabilities of other people. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm good at three things. I'm really great at enrolling people, training people, and coaching people. Those are the three things I do overwhelmingly. And so it's like when we really get what we're great at, and then we surround our teams, surround ourselves with other amazing people, you know, magic happens, right? Yeah. So one final question. When you think of a leader of tomorrow it comes to mind for you, Brian.
0: It's clear, somebody who can navigate ambiguity and embraces change. Uh, Without that, I don't think you'll be able to be a leader. What we're really spending a lot of time working through is how we can continue to foster our culture that will support change and actually feed off it. Uh, But with everything changing in terms of how things get done, when you think about AI and machine yeah. learning and connected devices and how that's gonna transform industries, we've just seen the early stage of transformation is that if, if an individual needs to have a very clearly defined destination and a path to get there and is not open-minded throughout the process, I don't believe that they'll be successful. Um, so people who are you know self-motivated, people that are confident, resilient, but also can navigate and uh, find comfort and ambiguity and actually seek opportunity in it. I think those
1: will be the, the incredibly powerful leaders of tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's really great. You know, one of the neat things about our business, Brian, is the business that you were in, and I won't say how many years ago, but you were in, is not that much different from now. We still do the estimates the same, paint the houses the same. And I think that's one of the great things about our business is it's really so similar, so coachable, so trainable. But the business you're in now is, oh my gosh, it's different. Every month, every quarter, every year, every five years, it's just, just so changing. Again, I, I, I totally see that,
0: and I think the skill sets that certainly, like going back to one of your earlier questions about what I draw upon, right? Those aspects are the foundational elements and tools that you use to navigate change. Right. The discipline, the structure, the accountability, those are the types of things that make change easier to deal with than getting caught up in politics and whose fault was that and those types of things. Who cares? You know, Who cares? We're moving
1: on. What's next? What's next? How do we create value for the customer, right?
0: And 100%. So with those core foundational skills in place, which aren't taught in textbooks or classrooms or I guess there aren't textbooks anymore, but I'm <laughs> myself. Uh, but uh, those, those skills are applied and they're learned and honed. Uh, and I think the data is one of the one of the keys in going back to, you know, people will say, well, you know, how what did you do earlier in your career to be successful? And I'll point back to I kind of live trial by fire in university with a great support network to be able to to live into that in a very formidable time in in my life. And uh, it it certainly had a huge impression uh, on me and something that I'll refer back to often in terms of, I remember the manuals and what have you, and and the sheets in terms of lead planning and what would that convert to. Those are our templates that we have in the business today that are remarkably similar to to what I was using in my uh, dorm as you say, many years ago.
1: (laughs) Well, Brian, thank you very much. It's been great reconnecting. I've got to find a time to go for lunch with you, you know, and get you out and connect personally. This was an amazing podcast. Really appreciate your time.
0: Yeah, great to connect.
1: Thank you, Chris. Hey, leaders. We've got a ton more interviews like this one coming up in the next few weeks. So if you're listening and you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to Leaders of Tomorrow. If you enjoy our content, please give us a share on your Facebook feed or better yet, tell your three most driven and entrepreneurial friends about this podcast so they can join us in discovering what set these powerful business leaders apart from the crowd at such a young age.